0: morning. Thank you Hope. Beautiful job. Take your Bibles turn with me back to Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 16. As Brother Bobby alluded to this morning we're coming to the end of our study of the book of Matthew. I had to look back myself to see exactly when we started this journey And I have to admit, I was a little bit surprised. This is number 100 of messages on Matthew. And we began this study two years ago, September the 10th, 2010. The Gospel of Matthew ends with Jesus meeting with his disciples and giving them a charge known as the Great Commission. It is aptly named because Jesus commands and commissions his disciples to do something great. He charges and empowers them to take the gospel to the uttermost ends of the earth. Now there are several mistaken ways that we can respond to the clear command of the Great Commission. First, we can respond by waiting. We build our churches, we put ads in the paper, we announce our service times, and then we wait for people to respond. It's so easy to think that because we have a beautiful auditorium and nice facilities, that the lost and hurting world are going to come to us. But in reality, we are called to go from this place into the world and lead them to Jesus. We make a crucial error when we as a church get to the point that we believe that the world will come to us. But we are commanded, rather, not to wait, but to go. The second way we respond is to send others. And here I'm not talking about sending out missionaries, but rather the erroneous thought that we hire professionals to take care of this matter. Warren Warnsby puts it this way. He says most churches seem to believe that they pay the pastor or the church staff to preach, win the lost, and build up the saved, while the church members serve as cheerleaders if they're that enthusiastic, or spectators if they're not. The converts who are won are baptized, given the right hand of fellowship, and then they join the spectators. Unfortunately, there, are, there is some truth in that. The Great Commission is the mission of the church. And that is the task that Jesus left his church with. Now the church has many reasons for existing, such as fellowship and teaching and worship. But none of these is the primary purpose of the existence of the church fellowship teaching worship they're all worthy they're all important but they're not the mission of the church but rather they are the preparation for the church to fulfill the mission of carrying out the gospel to the lost this morning if you look with me at verse number 16 Matthew chapter 28 Then the eleven disciples went out into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. So about ten days after the resurrection, the eleven remaining disciples, Judas has already committed suicide, arrive in Galilee to meet with Jesus as he and the angel had both instructed them. For the first time in the book of Matthew, the disciples inco- encounter the risen Lord, and they appropriately respond in worship. Matthew says, but some doubt it. And by that, I, I think he's talking to the larger group of disciples who are accompanying the eleven, maybe the group of 500 that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 by the Apostle Paul. Not all had had any experience with the resurrected Lord to this point, and this was for many their first experience. The word all, all, A-L-L, occurs four times in this passage. Although it's not clearly seen in all the versions, if you have a modern version you may not be able to see them as clearly. But there are four occurrences in this passage First of all, Jesus says he possesses all authority. Secondly, he sends his disciples unto all nations. Third, they are to teach all things that he has commanded. And four, they are promised that he will be with them all the days, or always, as they carry this command out. So looking at those four occurrences of the Word all in this text, I want to see four aspects of the Great Commission. First of all, the basis of the commission, all authority. On what basis do we as Christians have any right whatsoever to tell anyone that they should change their way of thinking and acting and follow Jesus? What right do we have to tell anyone that Jesus is the only way to heaven and the only way to the Father? Without a clear understanding of the authority of Jesus, we will never venture out and begin to bring people to Jesus. The Lord clearly declares his authority in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Jesus states <clears throat> that he has all authority. And the Greek word that is translated here is ekousia. It means It means both power and the right to do something. It's possible to have the power to do something, but not the right to do it. It's also possible to have the right to do something, but not the power. I read a story. A government man was taking a geological survey for the Department of the Interior. As he traveled throughout the countryside, he approached one farmer and he said, I've been authorized by the United States government to go out into your pasture and to take some readings. Do you mind if I do that? The farmer says, you can't go out into my pasture. The government man got a little perturbed, and he brought out a piece of paper that was signed by the Secretary of the Interior, and he gave it to the farmer to read. He says, here's my authority to, to take any readings anywhere I choose. He showed it to the farmer. He says, see, I have the authority to go into your pasture. As the government man started climbing over the fence, the farmer said to him once again, I'll tell you again, you better not go out into my pasture. The government ran, arrived in the middle of pasture, was setting up his instruments. When he noticed that the ground began to shake, he looked up and he saw a huge angry bull running his direction with his head lowered, looking like he meant business. The government man Forgot all about his equipment and started running as fast as he could for the fence and yelling for the farmer, help me, help me. The farmer ran to the fence and said, show him your authority, show him the paper. <laughs> he had the authority, but he didn't have the power. Jesus has given us both the authority <clears throat> and the power. Jesus has authority over Satan and all the demons of hell. He has authority over all the natural universe, over every star and every planet that exists. He has authority over all the weather systems, the rain and the lightning and the tornadoes and the hurricanes. He has authority over the very molecules that make up our universe, the atoms, the electrons, the neutrons, and even those subatomic particles that they are yet to discover He has authority over all the plant life and all the animal life, great and small, from whales and giant redwoods to bacteria and germs. He has authority over every part of the human body, every heartbeat and every breath. He has authority over every head of state and every ruling body, every president, every king, every third world dictator. He has authority over every business and every industry, every currency and all wealth. He has authority over every soul and every moment of every life that has ever been or ever will be lived. He has authority. And he has delegated that authority to you and I. The Apostle Paul describes the authority of Jesus when he wrote in Philippians 2, nine Therefore... God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven, of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If Jesus has that kind of authority, and he does then we as Christians not only have the right, but the duty to tell people to change their way and follow Jesus. We have not only the right, but the duty to tell others that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Secondly, I want you to see the scope of the commission. The first part of verse 19. Go therefore... And make disciples of all the nations. Jesus said that the church was to begin where it was and reach out in ever widening circles of influence until the whole world had been reached by the gospel. In fact, when Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, the word that is translated nations doesn't mean countries like Mexico and Canada and Peru. It is the word ethos, and it means ethnic, ethnic group. We are to take the good news to every ethnic group on the earth. The Bible is also clear on how this call is to be carried out in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. One of the other records of the Great Commission, Jesus says to his disciples, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As I said before, Jesus' words are pretty clear here that the disciples were to begin where they were in Jerusalem, and reach out in ever-widening circles to every part of the world. But the truth is, even the original disciples had a hard time with that. They had a hard time leaving their comfort zone in Jerusalem. So much so that the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that God had to put the church under persecution to scatter them throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Today, we still have a responsibility to take the gospel to the world. Paul says in Romans ten fourteen, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Charles Malik, the Lebanese ambassador of the United Nations, Asking a speech, he says, What has been the greatest American contribution to the rest of the world? Has it been money? Has it been food? Has it been medical skill? Has it been military might? Has it been industrial know-how? And then he answered. He said, The greatest thing to come out of America has been the American missionary effort. The quiet, selfless men and women who have left the comfort and security of their homeland to bring the gospel of Christianity to less favored nations. It may seem an odd place to look for mission advice, but uh, Coca-Cola seems to have that. Because Coca-Cola is everywhere. But how does it get there? You would have been astonished if I told you the statistics this morning of how many people around the world, what percentage of the population of the world have heard of Coke, how many have had a Coke, how many are accessible. I think it can be explained by the motto that's written on the wall at the headquarters of Coca-Cola. It says, think globally, but act locally. What that slogan is to coke, the Great Commission is to we Christians in the church. We have made great strides since we began Faith Promise Mission Giving in this church in 1990. That first year, we promised $25,000 to missions, and that was a lofty goal, $25,000 in 1990. By the year 2003, we had reached the point of giving over $100,000 a year to missions. Meaning that since 1990, by God's grace and your faithfulness, we've given over $2 million to missions. The amount that is given is not important. But the fact that the missionaries that we support around the world are doing great things for God is important. Reaching lost souls, bringing them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Third, <clears throat> I want you to see the content of the gospel. The second part of verse 19 <clears throat> says, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. <clears throat> You may remember that some years ago we did an entire series on the commands of Christ, looking at those things that Christ specifically commanded within the gospel. But we're looking much more general today. One of the things that I want you to note about the Great Commission
1: is that we have to
0: dispel the erroneous thought that the command of the Great Commission is go. Go. Certainly, going is an essential part of carrying out the Great Commission. If we don't go, then we can't tell. But the fact is that this is not the command that is associated with the Great Commission. Going is assumed of all genuine, dedicated followers of Christ. Literally, this passage would be translated... Even as you go, even as you go, these are the things that I want you to do. And in these verses, we find three components of the task of making disciples. First of all, we have to evangelize. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. If you have a King James Version, you'll see that it says, teach all nations. In fact, in the King James Version, the word teach and teaching is used twice in this passage. But the word that is translated teach in verse 19 is correctly translated in the New King James Version as make disciples. We have to reach them first with the gospel. We have to evangelize. We have a responsibility, first and foremost... (coughs) to reach our our local community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who study church growth tell us that churches can be divided into three types. First, magnetic churches. Those who attract more people than they lose each year to death and transfer or shifting to inactive. Second, there are neutral churches, attracting about as many people as they lose each year. And dying churches, those that lose more members than they attract each year. We like to believe in our hearts that somehow fundamental, conservative, Bible-believing churches grow, and liberal churches don't. But that's not true. The fact is that churches that aggressively seek new members, those that reach out, grow. Those that don't, won't. Since the average church le- loses 6 to 7% of its members each, each year by death, moves, or drifting away to inactivity, It is not just a good idea, but a necessity that we attract new people. It is the difference between life and death. So what can you do to help us reach our community? This is pretty profound, so hang on. You can invite your friends. People do not come to church because we have the most attractive building in town. Or even that we may or may not be the biggest church in town. Do you know the number one reason given for any person's decision to attend a particular church? Statistics tell us 70 to 90 percent who join any church do so through the influence of a family, friend, relative, or acquaintance. Secondly, you can help us do a better job of following up on those people who do visit us. I don't like this statistic. I shared it with you before, but it's a little demeaning to me. It says, uh, concerning follow-up, when laypersons, that's someone other than the staff, makes a brief visit to the home of first-time visitors within 36 hours after they visit the church, 85% of them will return the next week. Make that visit 70 hours later and 60% of them will return. Make it seven days later and 15% will return. This is the part that astounds me. The pastor makes that call rather than a layperson that cuts the results in half. Apparently you can chase them all faster than most of you can. First of all, we have to evangelize. Secondly, we have to incorporate Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The command to baptize here reminds us of the importance of not only reaching the lost with the message of the gospel, but the need of incorporating those new believers into the body of Christ. This baptizing is not the means by which a person is saved, but the means by which a new believer becomes a, member, or part of a local church. If we are to establish fruit that will remain, then we must see that new believers are led into involvement in the life of a local church. And third, we are to evangelize, we are to incorporate, and we are to indoctrinate. Now, the word indoctrinate often carries for us a bad connotation. We hear indoctrinate and we think brainwash. We think about what cults do. But indoctrination is nothing more than what we would call discipleship. It's the final part of the Great Permission where we're told, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And the word teaching here means instruction. That is instruction in observing and keeping the commands of Christ, the teachings of Christ. We have a basic call to discipleship. You need to be involved in small group Bible study to help you grow. And in this church, that means involvement in Sunday school. I personally believe that one of the great problems of our modern church... Not this church specifically, but the modern church is that it's like the Rio Grande River. It's three miles wide and half an inch deep. What I mean by that is that many believers do not progress. They don't continue to grow and learn. They don't know what they believe or why. Because they have never been discipled. Fourth, and finally, the promise of the commission. Always. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I can never hear that verse without thinking about Jerry Clower. Jerry Clower told a story on his pastor. He said, he was appearing at the Grand Ole Opry, and and his pastor always wanted to go to the Grand Ole Opry, and so he Got, went to his pastor's office. He said, "I want you to fly up with me to see the Grand Ole Opry. I'm supposed to be on it, and uh, we'll come back that night. You won't miss any preaching services." And the preacher, "No, no, no." He says, "You're not afraid to fly?" Are you? He said, "Well, I, I really don't want to fly." He said, "Oh, preacher, you. you know you can trust in God, and God will take care of you, and I'll have you back in." He said, Jerry, Bible says, Lo, I am with you always. <laughs> While it may seem that God has given us an impossible task, He does so with His authority and also the promise of His comfort and His presence. Some versions use the word Amen or surely in the place of lo. But the word literally means, see, behold, and remember. See, behold, and remember. No matter how challenging and difficult the task may seem, remember that the Savior is with you. Jesus is with us continuously, without interruption. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. There's a precious promise found in Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus is surely with us and will be with us, he says, till the very end of the age. He is with us when we gather together as His people. And He is with us when we scatter into the world as His witnesses. This is a mission that we do not have to go on alone. It is a co-mission. Meaning together. We serve with others and with the Savior who is always with us. If then... This was Jesus' great commission to his disciples. Should it not be our great commission as well? If this was uttermost on the Lord's mind, should it not be uttermost on ours as well? If this was the heartbeat of our Savior, it should also be what our hearts beat for as well. A student once asked the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, What about the heathen who have never heard? Will they be saved? Spurgeon replied, I have a much more serious question. That's not the question that haunts me. The question that haunts me is, What about us who have the gospel and never share it? Can we be saved? I have to admit that thought haunts me as well. In this new year, 2013, let's commit ourselves to be Great Commission Christians and build a Great Commission Church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for trusting us enough to include us in your mission to reach the world. You could have sent angels to deliver that message, but you chose instead to send fallible men and women. Yet, men and women who know what it means to have been lost and now saved, who know what it means to be under the burden of sin and have that sin lifted, who knows who know what it means to be forgiven. Help us, Lord, to just think of one person this year in our life that we would like to see come to know our Lord. Help us to devote ourselves to praying for that one person this year with the expectation that 2013 is going to be the year that they come to know you. And if you so choose, use us, Lord, as an instrument to reach them by sharing what you've done for us. Father, if there's one here that has never recognized their own sin, recognized they can't save themselves and that their sin separates them from you, but that Jesus has already taken their sin upon the cross and They're paid for the penalty of their sin. And all they need to do is accept that payment. I pray this morning they might understand that. And they might come to the place today right here in the quietness of this place where they might ask for forgiveness and leave this place forgiven, knowing that they have a place in heaven. For those of us who are saved, help us, Lord, to have a greater passion to reach our community reach the men and women right around us and the places of business where we trade places where we work within our own families help us lord seek their salvation pray for do whatever it is that you want lay on our hearts that we might reach them for you we're asking in jesus name amen Would you stand with me please